0: Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Furminger. It's been six years since the provincial government declared a public health emergency in British Columbia. Some call it the overdose crisis. Some call it the toxic drug supply problem. Some don't call it anything at all because they think it doesn't have anything to do with them. Whatever you call it or don't call it, it is killing people. We've lost more than 9,400 people to overdoses in this province since January 2016. We lost 174 people in the month of February 2022 alone. To put that in perspective, just over 3,000 people have died from COVID in this province. So we'll look at 3,000 versus nearly 10,000. Statistics don't lie. But they seem cold, a little impersonal. Colin Askey's film, Love in the Time of Fentanyl, goes beyond the cold statistics and to the heart of what's at stake, namely human beings in our province, all of whom are worthy of love and care and respect. Love in the Time of Fenstral highlights the work of the Overdose Prevention Society, aka OPS, in Vancouver's Downtown Eastside. OPS is a low-barrier, peer-run site where people can use their own illicit drugs, access sterile harm reduction equipment, and receive emergency overdose response as needed. OPS is run by people who've come together to save the lives of people in their community people they love. And this gift that they're giving, this gift of their time and and the space and clean drug rigs and no judgment, it's working. No one has died from an overdose at an overdose prevention site. This is what community looks like. This is what harm reduction looks like. And this is what love can do. Love in the Time of Fentanyl screens at the 2022 DOCSA Documentary Film Festival, aka one of my favorite festivals on the calendar. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Colin to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast to talk about Love in the Time of Fentanyl and what OPS can tell us about the compassion and care required to save lives during this devastating time. Colin Askey, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast.
1: Thanks so much and thanks for having me and thanks for that amazing intro. I teared up as you were talking. So.
0: I mean, we're, we're talking about, about people we love and lives that have been lost. A lot of films about drug use are, I think by their nature designed to be shocking and exploitative and focus on showing the harm of addiction instead of harm reduction and the people who who live with drug addict, drug addiction. So I'm curious about and this is not that kind of film at all. This is this film I can tell came comes from a place of of compassion and empathy. What kind of documentary did you set out to make, and did you have any conversations with yourself about the kind of film that you did not want to make?
1: Yeah, I mean. I, I, so I, I worked in the downtown East Side for many years, and a lot of projects that I had have done over the years have been um, you know, for the community uh, awareness videos, educational videos, uh, you know a lot of harm reduction organizations or social justice organizations that are fighting to raise awareness or, or get funding or, or protect funding that's at risk of being cut. And uh, I, I always kind of found that as a way for me to use like my love of film and, and experience mm-hmm. with film, and and combine both worlds without, um, you know, as the downtown east side has dealt with lots of kind of I think media and and not all always for the the best reasons, and, and a lot of stories are just done badly, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and people I think project their kind of opinions of the community. And uh, and for me, th- th- it was always, like, a real privilege being able to uh, feel like I-, I-, I could get a window into these uh, beautiful stories, but also, like, saw things that um, other people never had the opportunity to maybe see in that community outside mm-hmm. of it. And I've always kind of, like, w- wanted to, you know, expand into, like, a real documentary or do some stuff that would kind of get out of that world Um lots of the projects that I then were so focused on issues that they, you know, they're, they're in the harm reduction bubble or the downtown East side, kind of very localized kind of projects. Yeah. So I w- always wanted to do something that, you know, could, I could share this, my, my, the way I see the community or or uh, the way I had opportunities to kind of hear stories and, and, and see the community to the outside world. And a lot of what, inspired i think like i had moved to new york in 2016 like right as fentanyl kind of was really hitting hard in vancouver and so you know it was a uh, really just hard hearing the stories lots of just about like all of our community is part of the downtown east side whether they're you know com- actual community members or work down there
0: mm.
1: and uh just the stories were just just brutal and i remember like watching some news clips and and there was one that i was watching was about you know, the, it, it was really poorly done. And there was a kind of a house that was like running down to this crisis and the fentanyl crisis with the paramedics. And, and uh, it was like narrated, like, Oh, and look at what they have to put up with and they have to deal with these drug addicts. And, and uh, it was just so, and not to say that the paramedics are not going through ama- doing amazing work and stuff, but it was just how it was presented as, as kind of that, the biggest the hardest part of this job is them having to put up with these people and uh yeah
0: such disdain and contempt and the coverage of it exactly yeah Yeah.
1: and and knowing that these were the people that were actually the the you know real first responders it's their friends and loved ones that, that they're always the first on the scene and stuff like that so that kind of was my like you know what i need to get there i need to get back to vancouver and hopefully you know try to do something and i I wanted to do something different than I uh, that I had to be doing. I knew I didn't want to do like interviews and stuff. And uh, I was, I think I was like watching like some Frederick Wiseman documentaries at the time who's very observational and kind of yeah. really about space and institutions. And I thought that you know, having worked in these places that would be a, a really uh, a great way to hopefully just um, capture a u- unique lens into this, into this, Subject, you know, and and uh, I was more just wanting to kind of put the camera down and let things happen, and knowing that you know that that stuff would unfold the both the the tragic um, tragedy of this crisis, but also the beauty and the courage and all the all the amazing things that I knew were happening. Um, but that's how that's how I started. That was like, okay, this is my first intention, but I wouldn't say it it necessarily worked out that way.
0: Well, I think you definitely succeeded in in immersing us in that world. And, you know, I I definitely there were I mean, I, I was smiling a lot. I, there was a lot of laughter, a lot of joy. There was heartbreak and heartache. You know, you brought us into this. It's it's this whole it, it's a community. You brought us to the heart of the community. You know, so once you have once you had your your starting point, then, <laughs> How did you actually like, what was your first step? How did you start? Did you know that it was going to be OPS then where you were going to 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 cast your lens and and if so what was it about OPS that made it the place where cuz there there are countless places on the downtown yeah. side where you could have you could have you know stuck your camera why OPS
1: um, I think OPS, because for a few reasons. One was they were kind of the first to say, you know what, um, we're doing this, and we don't care if we have permission. And so they, they kind of, you know, other people and other organizations, and, and this became the model for all of those. Was, but OPS was the beginning with the tent, you know, and... and
0: uh, yeah, they and, set up t- tents, I'll tell my listeners, they they were... They, they weren't going to wait for government to come in and try to save lives. They, they set up tents and they set up places where people could come and use their drugs. And if they had an if they you know, experienced an overdose, they were there to, you know, administer the Narcan and, and, you know, and help. And they 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 just and it was not considered legal for them to do it. But they were like, I don't give a shit. We're going to save some lives.
1: Yeah, and the and the history of that is that when Insight won at the Supreme Court and beat, you know, Stephen Harper and those conservatives, um it was an amazing win, but the, the the one downside of that was Harper then put in all these rules and regulations that made it virtually impossible for for other sites to open up. And so that's what was really holding up the process. And that's why it was so courageous for you know, Sarah and the other activists involved and, and, and community members to say, we don't care, we're doing this. So yeah. that, was, that was the main reason. And it's also because I've, uh, you know, I've known Sarah for a long time. Yep. We, Sarah yeah. Blythe,
0: yeah, here yeah. around the community.
1: Yeah. Um, I first met her um, when there was, there was something called the Homeless World Cup that happens every year in a different city. And uh, Vancouver has a street soccer team and a group of us went over to Paris for the Homeless World Cup and she was one of the volunteers and I was doing some filming and that was the first time meeting her. And she's just an amazing character, um, you know, and and super funny and really I think captures what I was wanting to uh, capture in this film too. And, and uh, I think people, you know, have not only – uh, ideas of what, you know, the community members are like, but also the people that work there. And, uh, and Sarah's just a really funny, like good hearted, good person, but also like pretty, you know, she isn't like mother Teresa. She's just, she's just, uh, you know, she's just there because she believes in it and, and, uh, isn't going to take any shit, you know? Yes. I also knew, uh, Ronnie and Norma and Kevin and, Lots of when I, when I first kind of came back and was there, I was like, oh, you know, lots of history with a lot of the people there. So uh, and, and I knew that they would trust me as well. So it was yeah. uh, it seemed to be definitely the right fit. Yeah.
0: They knew everybody knew that they were going to be safe. Their stories were going to be safe, uh, safe with you. Yeah. How is the the overdose crisis changed in the time that you've been i mean i know you've been following it it's been part of your part of your life for a long time let's start like let's let's go back then to 2016 though when you know th- the last six years when it was declared this public you know this this emergency mm. how has it changed and has your thinking about it changed through working on this film at all yeah
1: well i think we're all in like it's a new world um like i think fentanyl when it first Hit like throughout um, my time working in this in this field. There's always like bad drugs, and the drug supplies kind of change, and there's and there's warnings that goes out, but it always kind of evens itself out. It's always well, I wouldn't say even itself out, but it's always a bit of a roller coaster. Mm. And and so I think when fentanyl first hit um, me personally, uh, was expecting it, this th- we would get back to normal at some point, and it mm. has, has not. And so I think on every level everyone's playing catch-up and uh and it's 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 a lot of just you know like like people think oh obviously fentanyl is bad because it's such, so high highly potent and the the risk of overdose but there's so many other angles as far as like you know it was hard getting off of heroin insanely mm-hmm. hard and 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 to to find the alternatives even to to um you know to get help we're we're very limited with with heroin let alone fentanyl now which is not only like that much more powerful but that much more po- uh powerful to get off of and withdrawal mm-hmm. and and we're we're playing catch up as far as these alternatives with safe supply and stuff but i think like because it's taken so long and that hasn't happened that people now her- heroin isn't going to help you know if they have a free yeah. supply of heroin that's they're, they're, that they're not going to want that you know because uh right um yeah it, it's it's uh it, it's just a, it's a it's a new world i remember like even fentanyl test strips came out and were so important to be able to be mm-hmm. able to identify it and nowadays it just seems it's in everything and it's taken over so there's you know mm. it, it's uh it's just assumed that that especially injection drug users or people using opiates that it's actually fentanyl.
0: Yeah, which makes the the OPS and similar kind of sites more important, right? That people are not they're going to use that they're not using alone. Um, and of course, COVID has forced so many people into into their you know into using in in private, away from people, right? You know, so it's it's COVID has just like took a really hor- like challenging situation and just yeah. made everything so much worse. And then also the impact on the supply uh, as as well. Uh, obviously, I too have spent a lot of time looking at this and, and thinking about this. Um, and, and I, I'm going to put a whole bunch of resources and links uh, of, of other podcasts and, and articles and films that people can go in and kind of uh, immerse themselves in to really get a, a good sense of, of what's going on. And also definitely Collins' film. Can we talk about the experience of, um, of filming then uh, some of the, the, the challenges that you faced and also the, the joyful moments? You know, some of the joyful moments that you experienced. Good, good
1: question, yeah, the, the there was a lot of challenges. I think, like, just in the filming process, probably the the biggest challenge is to not be in the way of the service and mm-hmm. and um, trying to always put that space, you know, uh, first. There's always situations and scenes where obviously people aren't comfortable being on camera in that room, and so. Um, and 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 i didn't want to be in there and someone may have come in and just seen the camera and then then left so it was just a lot of communication and really trying to make sure that uh people knew um that, that i wasn't you know there to to try and get some crazy shot or make people feel uncomfortable in any way so so that was a challenge finding that balance for for me and uh you know between what was uh what felt right and what felt uh like it like it was okay and people were on board and what and and what you know was not shouldn't happen and when i was going to be in the way and stuff so um but i I think that that was you know we had a knowing the staff and knowing the people there and and stuff it, it it was uh it was like a team effort and and really worked out and there's just so many um joyful moments like like uh in these places. And, and it's one thing I thought it was really important to capture too, because I think people sometimes look at these subjects and expect uh, it to be pretty bleak, in which it is, and I don't want to take away from that, but it's also um, people are funny, you know, and people laugh and they <laughs> yes, need they
0: know, do. <laughs> in these
1: situations and it's, you know, doing whatever. And that, that's what I loved about so much about that place in particular is it's not just about saving lives it's like the magic sauce inside these places is uh is kind of th- th- there's a it's a it's a place where people that are normally not unwelcome or not welcome anywhere else in society are allowed mm. to be themselves and uh and and the efforts you know that sarah and trey and and all those guys go to just to make life tolerable and have fun is 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 it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, and, you know, them just being themselves Is, is I, I was laughing as much as I was crying throughout the process,
0: you know? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the people who, who are there to help people at, at, at OPS. What impact does this work have on them? Like what kind of changes were you seeing, you know, in the people who are there, um, you know, providing the rigs and, and, uh, saving lives when an overdose happens, you know, like what, what were you, how were they being impacted?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was like the hardest part for me because it was, uh, these were, this was, it it was, you know, it's such a privileged position being behind the camera and, and just visiting kind of Vancouver. And it was hard because it was a place where, Oh, I was so close to everyone there and then seeing mm. not only you know everyone there it was losing so many people and I remember one friend telling me that they just the the, the hierarchy of grief you know you you someone that you love and cared about is is gone and then the next week it's someone else and it's and and you don't have the time to grieve for one person it was happening so quick so it was uh it was really traumatic and I definitely saw that in, in everyone down there. And, and uh, I also saw the, uh, the sad part of it becoming, and it, it still to this day has become normal, you know, and it's like mm. this tense environment of, that should not be normal for anyone has become the, the, the normal for, you know, people working down there and living down there, so.
0: What about anger? Uh, and, and rage and, you know, because I I personally find it difficult to look at the at those statistics that I listed off the top and to think about the people, you know, that we've lost. And in some cases, the simple laws, you know, that could be that could be passed down to help save lives, you know, like what and, and not be angry enough and not be full of rage. Like what what role do you think rage can play, you know, as we as we work to try to save lives and, you know, to lobby government and to try to bring people, you know, into the conversation? Because I think that we're all going to have to be part of the solution here.
1: Yeah, that's a that's really great question. And one I think I still struggle with. And and I think uh, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's something that I think, like, when those that are affected by this and those that... Uh, know a bit more it's so much more frustrating because um and i'm you know living in america too so it's 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 the one thing about looking at vancouver it's always like well at least there i feel like people are trying and there's that Mm -hmm. effort there and it's i think sadly the the levels that the change needs to happen has become too slow and and uh and it's yeah, it's devastating, and it's it, it, yeah. I think the rage for me is is, is 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 always that lack of understanding in people, and that mm. um, that what we have decided is is morally right and wrong. I think blocks actual us from seeing like like simple realities and simple truths that could really fix this. You know, mm. and, and, and if people and hopefully you know th- things like this this film help but i think people don't even want to look at this issue because they think it's it's uh, you know it, they, th- they think it's something that's easily understood and in a way in my, in my head it is easily understood in in a different context of which is not the way that we've looked at it for so many years of of this this is just a, a you know drug users and drug use is bad and 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 this attitude that is um just failed miserably for over the years i don't know what more evidence sometimes people need you know there's more of a disaster um in policy than i think the war on drugs and that kind of not just um you know on the different levels and how that comes across and the stigma and stuff but yeah i think like anything that people can can do to just be willing to look at things differently is, is uh is helpful and anything that hopefully like this film and people can do to get those stories out there that, and, and um, also that, you know, the science and the facts, it's a frustrating thing too, is that like people listen to this when it comes to like things like COVID or climate change, you know, it's like, well, we'll listen to the science and we'll make this policies based on that. But we have years and years of of science and data around drug policy and we have mm. like, you know, Switzerland um, and numerous countries and Portugal. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 uh, that is working, but
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's anger and then there's love. <laughs> I'm fentanyl. I'm going I'm to bring it back to the, the film. How, how do you want people to feel as the end credits are rolling? You know, or what kind of conversations would you like people to have, you know, in the lobby? Of the theater after your film screens. Hmm,
1: that's a good good question. I think like yeah, part part of this for me is is like a way to. Uh, it's more of a window. This film, I think, for mm-hmm. an audience, hopefully to. Um, and I think the audience um, needs. You know, it's not an easy film for an audience. No one's telling you the way to think about anything. It's just kind of showing and and providing these examples. So I, I hope that audiences um, look at things a different way. And I think that's that's a lot to do with this film is about perspectives and looking at things differently and looking at these people differently. And and, uh, I hope people come in that maybe have some, you know, preconceived notions that are obliterated. And and, uh, that's my hope, yeah.
0: Yeah. And film is one of the ways that we can, that we can touch people's hearts and stir them into, yeah. into action. Colin Ask you, what a delight it's been to host you today. Where can our fans, if they want to follow the journey of the film, because we have listeners all over the world, they might not be able to come to DOXA or, or see one of the online screenings, but, you know, they, they can follow it. Where, where can they, is there a way that they can follow you either on social media or on the website to find out where the film is going?
1: Well, we're a little late in this department. we just, like, finished <laughs> the we just wrapped color and sound like yesterday. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're now like, okay, we got to get our act together here. So we've just got a, a website. There's nothing on it. So it's, I wouldn't go there just quite yet, but it's just loving the time of fentanyl.com. Okay. Okay. Um, and hey, maybe gonna, by the
0: time this episode drops, there'll be something, yeah. there'll be something there.
1: Yeah. And, and we're going to be, we're just starting at where this is our premiere at DOXA. And then we'll we do a, hopefully a big festival run, and then it'll be broadcasted on PBS on Independent Lens on, in 2023. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I guess I, I don't see why not. But anyway, it'll be broadcasted. Next
0: All right, time. well, you, you heard so. it here first, folks. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much and thank you for this film. Uh, Love in the Time of Fentanyl, it screens at the 2022 Doxa Documentary Film Festival. You can visit doxafestival.ca for tickets, screening times, and info about how to access... Their entire catalog of online screenings. They're doing a hybrid festival this year, which I definitely appreciate. Thank you, listeners. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners, and we can keep having conversations like the one that we had today. Find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at yvr screen scene and at Sabrina Arp. Yvr Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina, Ronnie, Furminger, I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Davilae, but who is a Furminger in our hearts for the original music. Wavera Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And... This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day.